never see New Vintage. Uh, good to see everybody smiling faces this morning. Uh, we're going to be in a book of the Bible you may or may not have ever, if you're new to the faith, you probably have never read it. And uh, sometimes those who've been in the faith a long time have never actually read it. We're going to be in 3rd John. Now some of you may be going, I didn't know there was such a book as 3rd John. I'll tell you where it is. Uh, it's right before Revelation. So the easy way to get there in your Bible, if you have a paper bound, uh, is go to, re- go to the end of your Bible and then thumb your way backward, okay? And right before Revelation, there's a little one-pager that says 3rd John, okay? And we're going to be there. We're in a series called Old School, Lessons on God from the Schoolhouse, and we're looking at, uh, at life at school and the kingdom of God and how they are analogous to each other. And today we're going to look at an undeniable feature of school, and that is bullies. Bullies. Uh, bullies are those... Uh, those people that make our lives utterly miserable. You re- are introduced to them as little kids, uh, even in children's movies. You remember watching Beauty and the Beast, but then you've heard of Gaston. You get a little earlier, maybe late elementary school, you get introduced to the Harry Potter movies, and you meet uh, Draco Malfoy. You get to high school, and now we've got uh, the Karate Kid and Johnny Lawrence of the Cobra Kai, and those kind of movies. And the further up you go, it doesn't matter what, how old you get, or whatever, bullies not only exist in the movies, they exist in real life too. And I'm going to define a bully as somebody who, um, who treats people in a rough way in order to exert their will on another person wrongfully. Okay? So that's how we're going to define it today. And in 3 John, you have a, a really different kind of, uh, of situation. Now, out of, out of all of the movie uh, bullies that are out there, okay? I think one guy stands above them all, okay? And it's this guy right here. Uh, his name is Biff. Now, Biff, um, which of course is a great name for a bully. All bullies have names that for whatever reason seem to fit them, like Draco um, or somebody like that. Well, Biff is just the quintessential mean high school guy. He finds McFly and he just makes the guy's life miserable. But what makes McFly such an easy target is the fact that until the very end of the movie, spoiler alert, and if you haven't seen Back to the Future, you deserve to have it spoiled at this point. Um, you're missing out. Educate your children, people. Um, but, but is that he, he does nothing to fire back, ever. He all shucks his way through the whole movie and becomes victim after victim, just every single incident. It just makes you cringe. It just makes you want to, as Michael J. Fox watches the uh, you know, as he enters the story as, as George's son watching his dad when his dad was young, he's kind of encouraging his dad all along, come on, dad, like what? stand up for yourself, you know? And, and there's this, there's this uh, I guess I, I would say this, this aroma of blood in the air for bullies when they sense that somebody is an e- easy target who will not fight back. And they will make school awful. They will make churches awful. And they will make your life awful. Now, we may not be able to get rid of bullies forever, but the good news is that Scripture has something to offer us, which is the courage to deal with our fears, and that includes fear of others. So we're going to be in 3 John. Uh, 3 John is not written by John's grandson or something. Uh, it's John, uh, the third letter that he writes. So uh, most people think it was the, the Apostle John that wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, as well as John, uh, the Gospel of John. 
And um, 2nd and 3rd John are likely tied together, all right? And they're both little one-pagers. They're both written to the same church. And in 2nd John, what you have is a situation where um, they, the, they are hosting the wrong people. So you would have these itinerant, uh, quote-unquote, Christians or, or preachers or, or people that were functionally missionaries at the time. And they would come into the church and need a place to stay. They needed something to eat. They needed to, to uh, they maybe need some money or whatever, and so the church would take care of these people when they came through. Not unlike life on the mission field today. So they would come through, and in 2 John, the issue is that there are heretics coming by, people who say Jesus did not actually come in the flesh, and the church is actually hosting them and feeding them, all right, and saying, oh, yeah, let's take care of these guys. And so what's happening then is it gives those guys an opportunity to essentially renounce Christ in their midst. And so in 2 John, John is saying, stop doing that. Well, in 3 John, we, we kind of get a little sense of why they're doing it. There's a bully loose in the church. So his name is Diotrephes. 3 John opens to a man named Gaius. Gaius is a good guy. Gaius seems to be a, a very righteous man, but a man who may need some bolstering of his courage or his will. Because what's happening now is that the good guys are showing up and they need sustenance and they need a place to stay. They need meals. They need care. And Diotrephes is bouncing them out. He's shunning them. He's turning them away. And if anybody's found helping them, then they are thrown out of the church. So Diotrephes is just on the loose. And so the Apostle John uh, is trying to write and make sure that uh, this man who is terrorizing and dividing the church uh, is put in place, okay? So in Third John, we're going to read this, and my hope is you'll, we'll draw, we'll, in its most immediate context, it's talking about the church, but there are things that are easily imported in everyday life in dealing with people who are like the diatrophies of your life, all right? So here we go, Third John, verses 5 to 11. There's only one chapter, so you just say Third John, verses 5 to 11. Here we go. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So he's patting them on the back, saying, good job taking care of these people who need your help. All right, these are good people. They're helping get the gospel shared. You're doing the right thing by taking care of them. All right. Then he says, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. I just laugh every time I read that. Wicked nonsense. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God, okay? So he says, all right, there's a rogue guy in the church, Diotrephes. And I've tried to write this to you guys, but Diotrephes is intercepting my writings like a, like, a, like a cornerback is. He's intercepting it, and then he's finding anybody. Uh, he's starting to talk wicked nonsense about us, talking trash about us. And then he's intercepting my messages, and on top of that, he's... He's uh, finding anybody, he's not accepting these, these wandering missionaries that need his help. And on top of that, he's finding anybody who does help them and running them out of the church as well. So he's saying, I'm going to have to come deal with it. 
bum, 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 right? He's, he's gonna, says, I'm going to show up in person because I can't get it done in writing. And I'm going to take care of it. I don't know, is that a very Christian thing to do? Uh, over the years, I've probably consulted with, uh, I don't know, dozens and do maybe over 100 churches, usually when they're at the complete dumpster fire stage. So back in, um, especially in the old days, uh, in a previous ministry, I would go Texas, Oklahoma, places like that, and help churches that had not just one diatrophies, but several diatrophies. <laughs> Running loose, okay? And without fail, what gives people that want to take control, have it done their way, at the expense of everybody else, including often the leadership of the church, is that there's a sense that nobody's in charge. That there is nobody else on the playground who would dare fight them, so to speak. Uh, that may be your workplace. That might be your family. Your extended family. It is not uncommon for me to run into people um, at church or, or, or people that I know that are friends that will tell me openly that they have not spoken to so-and-so in 20 years, 15 years, 10 years. So some people will choose Cold War or avoidance over the actual confrontation that actually leads to peace. And the reason is people think that avoidance or letting that happen is actually, get this, the Christian thing to do. The passage is quoted, blessed are the peacemakers. Well, the, tr the problem with that is uh, it doesn't, Jesus doesn't explain right there what it takes to make peace with people. And so there's a composite throughout the Gospels that Jesus gives us that makes us kind of look at it as a case-by-case -case situation. There's stuff about turning the other cheek, but there's also stuff, okay, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Uh, you see him turning over the money uh, changers' tables, and you see him calling the Pharisees a brood of vipers and whitewashed tombs. And I mean, so it's like, okay, which of these guys is the peacemaker? And I want to submit to you that peacemaking is about dealing with it peacefully if you can, and then if not, allowing courage to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to allow you to have confrontations or discussions or whatever you want to call it that must happen. Now, I'm going to put a caveat in here. Two things because of the world we live in. I have to put this in here. Number one, I am not talking about physical violence, okay? Don't go attack somebody and say, I told you to do it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying physical violence, okay? And then I think number two, okay, we tend to assume that every confrontation is, is courageous or biblical just because it's a confrontation and maybe we're right or wrong. The Bible is adamant that you avoid foolish controversy. Okay? Not everything is worth getting in a fight over. Have you ever met those people that just, like when they're young particularly and they haven't learned the art of not punching people or wrestling all the time, they just think everything is worth fighting over? Uh, young married couples? Haven't learned the art of the, the very casual, you know, I'm going to dodge that one. Nope, we're not going to do that one today. Um, nope, you know what, in fact, I've learned that our, we have a rhythm to our fighting. I know what that rhythm is now, so now I can just do one of these, you know, and we don't fight as much. That's just not worth fighting over. Here's where this is going to go. I can see it in my mind. It's not worth it. It doesn't make for peace, right? 
But then there are others where some people, because they don't want to stand up, they don't want to argue, they don't want to fight with people, uh, they're conflict avoiders, they do that and then slap peacemaker on, on, the la- on the label there, thinking that they actually made peace. But Jesus didn't seem to avoid tough conversations. He doesn't seem to say, oh, whatever you want to people. He seems to be very compassionate and loving toward people who need compassion at that point in time. The poor, the sick, the lame, the repentant. But to people that are a danger to, 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 to others, who victimize the vulnerable, who cause um, strife and dissension, he's ruthless. And by ruthless, I just mean he's willing to say whatever he has to say in order for it to be abundantly clear what the will of God is. And so that's what John is trying to do. He's trying to do it in writing. He's probably very old when this happens, uh, probably in his 80s, 70s or 80s. So it's not as easy. It's not like he gets an a, a airplane ticket and sits in uh, first class and drinks martinis the whole way. This is an arduous, ugly journey he's going to have to take if he does it. But he understands it's worth it if we don't, if I don't, we're going to lose this church. So he says, all right, so I'm showing up in person. In the meantime, keep welcoming those people because I'm about to come take on Diotrephes in the church. And it never really lets us know precisely how it goes. But since John was the apostle Jesus loved had walked with Jesus, um, was there at the end, and had been this leading figure in the history of the early, early church, you would think that it probably went John's way. However, we don't know for sure. When it comes down to peacemaking, okay, Peacemaking will always involve standing up to what you would call bullies, okay? What makes for peace sometimes on the playground is somebody just once saying, not today. There are people in the world who are all taken, no give. Um, Hitler was like that. Chamberlain tried to appease him. And appeasement rarely works. But I think there's two sides to this, right? You got some people who love a good dust up over almost anything. And they themselves become bullies in the art of trying to protect kids from being bullied. They become the bullies. That's possible. But on the other side, you've got people who lack courage to say what needs to be said. And they can deceive themselves into thinking that they're making peace when in reality all they're doing is avoiding conflict. So the question then becomes one of spiritual discernment. Okay, which is this? Which case is this? Christianity is supposed to be opposed to bullies, running over the weak, lack of fruit of the spirit. But boldness is one of the things most obvious and highlighted in the text when a person is referred to as full of the Holy Spirit. Boldness. Stephen full of the Holy Spirit, gets up in the book of Acts, walks them through an entire uh, history of, or kind of piggybacks on even the Pentecost sermon, but he, he walks them through the story of Jesus and says, you guys are the ones that crucified him. You guys are stiff-necked, uncircumcised, and heart and ears and everything, and they stone him to death. But he does it, full of the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist, full of the Holy Spirit. Not known as Captain Calm out there. You know, uh, 
man, he would go run up one side of the Pharisees and down the other because of what they were teaching and the hypocrisy that he saw. So were they being unchristian to do it? We can talk about Jesus himself turning over the tables. There are always people who will say that the Christian thing to do is to allow bullies to continue to victimize others. But I want to suggest to you that that is far from the case. Because what ends up happening eventually is, eventually the diatrophies of the world will end up running off all the Gaiuses, and then you're left with a church full of diatrophies. Now you've got a whole schoolyard full of bullies. And, you know, our country's full of them. You know, I, I'm thankful. I don't think our church has a lot of them, but I think our world has a ton of them. Uh, if I asked you to close your eyes and said, picture the biggest bully you remember from your childhood, it would take you less than five seconds to pull that person in mind. Would it not? You just go, boom. And you might even have like a Brady Bunch style thing, like one of those panel windows that had like nine of them pop up, boom, 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 all in your head at one time. Because their activity leaves marks. So the task of the godly, at least if you look at what John is doing, now he has apostolic authority, but that kind of thing is done. In fact, he's asking Gaius and those Christians to do the same thing that he's doing. Take care of diatrophies. I'm going to I'm showing up to add my part to this, but I, I need you guys to take care of this. The task of the godly, part of it, is to deal with bullies. Tim Field said, bullies thrive wherever spiritual authority is weak. Now, he was referring there to the church, but I think, again, going back into your personal life, okay, my personal life and everything. Are there people in your life that just frankly terrorize you? <laughs> They, they, they run over you all the time. Uh, they turn you into a McFly. Um, and it could be because you need their approval. It's a mom, a dad, a sister, a brother, somebody you look up to. I, I think when you're growing up in school, there's always the cool person whose approval you really want. And so as that, uh, you know, you'll do almost anything they ask you to do, even if it's ridiculous or stupid. You'll tolerate anything uh, from them that you need to. Now, somewhere in there, again, sisters and brothers, is... It's not about just making war on anybody in authority or making war on anybody who, who uh, causes you any problem. We have to discriminate. There is a difference between a, a principled uh, confrontation with somebody over a matter of substantive biblical worth okay, and foolish controversy. My wife and I got into an enormous argument once over what kind of butter we should buy. I'm a country crop guy. It's God's butter. Okay? I like it because it comes in that big tub, and you don't have to get, it's all messy. If you get cubes, you got the wrapper and all that stuff, and then it's, it's gone. It's like one little stick of butter, and now you got to do it all over again. Country crock, you can buy, especially if you go to Costco. Right? you got enough butter there in one of them jugs to get you by for a good three years, probably, in one tub of butter. Well, my wife, call, she refers to it as real butter. The, the other kind, the stick butter. Real, no, no, calm down, Scott. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. And, and so one day, uh, we just started talking about, I, I'd gone to the store and I bought country crock and, and we were out of butter, real butter, as she puts it. And we just started fighting about, I mean, it started small, 
don't buy country crock. It's full of preservatives. It's toxic. It's bad. It's da 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 da. Yeah, no, no, no. Okay, where's security? Can we get him out? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sitting there. I'm like, hey, I'm like, I'm like, hun. I go read the label. It is better for you in every stinking category. You can read, can't you? Here you go. Read it weak. And she's like, I don't care, preservatives and, and whatever and toxic this and whatever. And I'm like, no, no, no. That's what, that's what people who can't read labels say. When you read the label, here's what it says, right? And this thing just starts spiraling. And I don't even know what it was about. Now, it's probably we were tired or something, or it's one of those marital arguments that you begin to have that all of a sudden just gets out of hand. And all of a sudden, you're like, are we fighting over butter? Like, seriously, like, is it really a big deal? No, I can buy the stick, but it's that important to you, dear. We'll buy the stick butter. It's really not a big deal, you know. Um, or, or let's get a tub of country crock, work it all the way to the bottom, then put like eight sticks of butter in the country crock thing. And then we can have the tub, and I don't have to deal with the wrappers and all that stuff. But we did it, and I just realized, I go, what a stupid thing to argue about. How do we get over that? Like, how do we, how do we get to a point where two people that love each other, been together as long as we are, fighting over that kind of stupidity? The irony was we'd already been married 15 years. So I don't know if this is pent up for 15 years of buying butter or what. But <laughs> now you know, okay? C- team Country Crock, where are you at? Anybody? Anybody? Or am I by myself? There we go. There's God's man and God's woman in the back. There's three of us in the whole room. Everybody else is like, buy the real stuff. Read the label, people. But that's the thing, right? You, just, you, you don't even realize the arguments you're getting into and how unimportant they really are. Okay, Titus 3. This is another letter. letter. Um, This is uh, Paul writing to Titus. He says this in uh, chapter 3, verse 8 to 11. He says, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about butter. I'm sorry, about the law. I thought it said butter for a second. For they are unprofitable and worthless. Okay, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. All right, so there you have two principles. One, stop arguing about dumb things. Okay, don't argue about stupid things. We sing this for the church. So that would e- that's not too hard of a principle to apply to the family realm or the marriage realm. Relationship with your parents, relationship with your friends, coworkers, bosses, okay? You know, we use the expression, pick your battles. It may have its root here. Just don't, don't have, get caught up in foolish controversy. I mean, I once went, I mediated, I've mediated conflicts over um, a $500 pay raise for a pastor that had been at the church for a decade. I've mediated a, a, a massive blow up uh, over the role of biblical prophecy in the church. And it wasn't, does it exist or does it not? It just had to do with basically to what extent it, it exists in earthly form today. I mediated one, uh, a church split over um, whose side to take in a divorce. I've mediated, so, so that one's like kind of like in the middle, depending if you knew the circumstances, it was a middling kind of controversy. It's one that you kind of go, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's not one side or the other. Sometimes it's tragic on both ends. And then, in the, and then I've mediated down to uh, stuff like, um, you know, they've got, they've got six candidates to take a role as the senior pastor, and the elders are all, every one of them wants somebody different. 
and their bylaws say they have to all agree or they can't hire anybody. And they've been sitting there for three years trying to hire somebody because nobody will agree. Right? I go on and on and on. Uh, I could give you civic examples. Want any? Want to know how many petty negotiations we had trying to build this place? Um, you, you, may not, you may not even know this. It came down to actually the measurement of one chair in this room. One chair. All these chairs are different widths. You may not know that. They're slightly. This one's like 19. This one's 20. This one's 21, 19, 18. One inch on one chair determined whether or not this thing got built. But it really made a big difference. Would the extra inch really have compromised safety in America here on Grand Avenue? I doubt it. But it's what it was. Are you going to have turkey or ham at Thanksgiving? Does it really matter? It should be turkey, by the way. With country crock on the side. <laughs> all right. So all I'm saying is, like, there's foolish controversies, right? And, and you don't want to get involved with those. And then there are things that do matter. Okay? Um, when it comes to bullies, we don't pacify them. We don't allow them to remain bullies in the church. We deal with them. Okay, those of you who have been bullied, you know how hard it is to focus in school when you're being bullied. Teachers, you can probably tell that there's a kid getting bullied in your classroom. And in the same way, in a church, Paul says, you have to insist on certain things so that you don't lose focus. So we're going to start here. I'm going to give you a little primer on dealing with bullies. The first is that. Separate the dumb arguments from ones that actually matter. Okay? There are times where you just need to, it is, does matter a lot more to them than it does to you. So, whatever, right? You want blue carpet, I want green carpet. They're close to the same color. I don't really care. I just would go with the green. No big deal, right? That's fine. So that's number one. Then we have to realize, again, that there's a spiritual dimension to this, and he highlights it there, a spiritual warfare uh, element to this that reminds us we're in a war whether we realize it or not, okay? Spiritually speaking, there's the father of lies, the one who stirs up dissension, and, the, and petty arguments and fighting over nothing, things that don't really matter. And so when we're told by God to pick up the full armor of God, and God, using spiritual terms, says you're gonna, you, you need a helmet and a breastplate and a shield and a sword and all these things, and that he's providing those to us, that's military language, right? That's, that's you're going into battle language. And so we're supposed to take up the full armor of God. So... Why then would we think that going around our life that the one who's making war on us can be reasoned with or kind of peacemongered into, and I'm talking here about the evil one, about Satan. He doesn't want peace. He wants war. So in those particular cases, um, our job then is to be strong. You know, we learned on 9-11, it doesn't take two to make war. It really only takes one side. It only takes one. And Satan wants to destroy us. He doesn't just want to make your life, by the way, a little bit bad. He actually wants your soul. He wants your absolute destruction in this life and in the life to come. He's not a frenemy. He is the enemy. He's not just a guy... Who posts bad things about you on Facebook or on Instagram? Okay, he's not 
He's not uh, one of those kind of schoolyard girls that takes a lot of selfies of herself and puts them, shares them directly to you to kind of spite you for the way you look and stuff. And I'm not, I'm not belittling that. I'm just trying to help you understand how serious the other is. That if he can take your marriage, if he can take and just wipe you out in every possible sense of the term, he wants your marriage to fall apart, your finances to fall apart, your kids to fall apart, your sexuality to be out of control, your heart to be selfish, your temper out of control, your happiness completely and utterly suffocated. And he has no regard for the common good. Zero. See, Diotrephes is being used by the evil one. He has no regard for the church, John says, or the brothers in the church. And like Satan, who is out for his own interest, so is Diotrephes. There are people who are all taken no give. This is from leadership scholar and therapist Edwin Friedman. He goes, forces that are unself-regulating can never be made to adapt towards strength in a system by trying to understand or appreciate their nature. This was Chamberlain's great mistake at Munich in trying to empathize with Hitler. Priding himself on his own reasonableness and his unwavering belief in the value of achieving consensus, Chamberlain was trying to understand Hitler's needs. He tried to project himself into, that is, feel for Hitler's position so they could work out a mutual accommodation. It never seems to have occurred to him that there are forces on this planet, because of their inability or unwillingness to self-regulate, are by nature all take and no give. So when you find that kind of a situation, you got two choices. Well, you got three choices, two are potential options, really, from a Christian standpoint. Okay, your three options are continue to be bullied and let them run crazy. Option two is I cut myself off and avoid them and leave the others to fend for themselves. Option three, I confront. I confront. But when you confront, John says, hit above the belt. There are spirit-filled ways to do warfare and ways that a Christian ought never to do warfare. So in verse 11 of 3 John, he says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God, but whoever does evil has not seen God. He says, as all this shakes out, don't stoop to their level. Don't imitate evil. Otherwise, the bully to become bullied. My metamorphosis in middle school happened on a Friday afternoon at lunchtime. Let's say it was seventh grade. Back then, seventh was the beginning of middle school. You went to elementary through sixth. So it was my first year of middle school. And there was a kid, um, I'll call him Nick, that was a violin prodigy. Not the coolest thing to be in Long Beach at the, in those days. Violin prodigies in seventh grade were not like, ooh, Wow, he's really awesome. That's impressive. That's what parents think. What kids think is nerd, weak, soft. So he got bullied all the time. Now he would sometimes like kind of hang on the periphery of our group, my friend group, kind of for protection. So it looked like he was with us and it looked like he had numbers on his side. But we tried to kind of you ever socially distance yourself. Socially distance. You know what I mean. The, the old kind of social distance from a person, right? And he was kind of just hanging on kind of to the periphery, you know, standing maybe six feet away, ten feet away, kind of just acting like he was with us even though he wasn't. 
We used to do this little thing, just knucklehead stuff at, on the playground. It was very, very physical. Okay, schools have changed a lot, and so th I'm thankful for that, actually. But, but back in those days, it was not uncommon for people to be very physical, like at lunch, wrestling each other, you know, throwing stuff at each other, whatever. And we, had to, we used to do this thing where when somebody wasn't looking, you could run up behind them, and, and you'd gather speed as you got close. You'd jump up in the air, and as you did, you would kind of use your rear end to hit them kind of in the upper back, and they would just go <laughs> face plant right into the ground. It was awesome. Some of you may remember the old thing where somebody would kneel down behind your friend, you'd push them over, and they'd fall backward. This was kind of the, the other equivalent, except it took more skill and dexterity and athleticism. You had, to, you had to sneak, and then you would gather speed, and hopefully they wouldn't hear you coming. You'd just get off up in the air, and you'd hit them, and then face plant right in the ground. Well, so Nick, we'll call him. Um, you know, he's one of these kids, typical uh, prodigy kind of kid, hadn't combed his hair in years. I mean, just kind of messy on top and had these big Coke bottle glasses. And one time, I wasn't trying to be mean to the guy, I was just messing around and maybe trying to show off or whatever. And, and so I came up behind him at lunch and I gathered speed and I jumped up and uh, I was fast. I think I was really fast when I was younger. Not as fast now, but I was fast then. And I mean, I just, boom, I stuck it, boom. Down he goes, into the ground. And my whole friend group goes in uproarious laughter. And I'm high-fiving, basking in the glory of my, my kill, so to speak. And now I look behind, he's, he's not getting up. And he's kind of slow, slowly moving, he's not out. But he gets up, and his glasses had broken. Yeah. And he turns around to me. And he's crying, like really, really crying. And he says, why did you do that? Like he's mad and crying at the same time. Why did you, like almost, I don't know. It, it was like a, uh, like I saw my kids do when they were five or six, when their sibling hit them or something. Why did you do that? And I mean, I'm telling you, like all of a sudden now, the shame is just like, I mean, you know. And, you know, I was trying to have fun. I wouldn't trying to necessarily like do that to him and I just said I don't know I don't know and I tried to help him you know and and I started getting made fun of for helping him and then that caused me to lash out at the people who were mad at me for helping him you see how that goes see here's the thing folks if I dug, if I was going to sit down on my own therapist's couch at this age and say, why did I do it? I did it to protect myself because I was getting bullied badly in those days. And it was a way of showing myself to be a little bit of a tough guy on the playground. But that's the thing with being bullied, if you don't take care of it, is it turns you into a bully over time. And then when you get a little bit of power, you don't know how to handle it. And you use it to bully others because you were. Later on, I was in a fraternity in college. And that, you know, hazing was a very real thing. Went through all that deal. And I just vowed that when I got in there, if I got into leadership in that organization, we were not going to do that anymore. Okay, we weren't, we weren't, at least the type of stuff that was going on there was too much, too strong. But what had happened is those guys had gone through the process and because they had to do it, they wanted the other people to have to do it. 
my dad was an alcoholic. I'm not talking about my own, but like, you know, imaginary person out there. My dad was an alcoholic. They just think that that's how life is done. That the cycle has to be that way. It has to continue. You know, and I think I think there's coming to terms with that from a spiritual standpoint is to say, no, that that you have a chance to break the cycle, not just by confronting the bullies around you, but making sure that you aren't converted into that way of life. So whatever pain you've been through, making sure that gets dealt with properly so that you don't pass that on. I mean, there is nothing, nothing, nothing scarier than power in the hands of a person who had been bullied for a long time and now finally gets something. You can see it in politics. You can see it all over the place. You can tell who the actually tough people are and then the paper mache people that are wrapped in barnacles. And you realize, oh, you're soft under this. You're doing all this to protect yourself. Porcupine quills. Turtle shell. Hissing like a raccoon around the garbage can to protect yourself. The bullied can become bullies. I had no idea why I did it at the time. But to, uh, those who have been bullied will be vulnerable to becoming bullies later. Like, by the way, some Christians who receive God's grace and become legalists after the fact. Denying, it, denying God's grace to others. And they then begin to sour whatever arena they're in. I mean, that's the irony. And this is what drives Jesus and John the Baptist crazy about the Pharisees is you guys are supposed to be the dispensers of grace and instead you're dispensing legalism that's why for instance in the parable of the unforgiving servant the punchline is okay whoever is unwilling to forgive those uh, when they've been forgiven there is no future for those people in eternity that that makes God extremely upset So our call is to discipline bullies, quote-unquote, without becoming one ourselves. So we ask ourselves this morning, is it I, Lord? I never played that way again from that point on. Okay, how do we deal with bullies then concretely? With the ever-extolled and yet increasingly rare virtue of courage. There was an unbeatable bully on our playground when I was in third grade. His name was Willie. Now, in third grade, nobody's used to hitting anybody or being hit by anybody yet, in most cases. I had a sister, so I I didn't have a brother beating up on me or anything like that. So third grade, that was new turf to me. But this kid picked on everybody, like, like not just me, but like almost everybody around. And I remember one day saying, all right, I'm going to get, we're going to unionize this thing here is what we're going to do. This is uh, Tim the leader in the early stages in third grade. I said, I'm going to go get Jeff, my, my buddy, and we're going to go at him together. Next time that this guy comes for one of us, we're going to go together. And that's exactly what happened. The guy beat both of us. <laughs> he beat us both. All right. So then we decided, all right, we're going to go get Al. Yes, big Al. He was our ringer. That's what he did. Be big. I'm talking big. For that age, you know, already had like a beard. Like big Al. Right? 
and we got him and just the sheer size of Al and what Al said to Willie meant Willie didn't touch us again. Al didn't have to throw a punch. Had he needed to, he would, he would have taken Willie rather easily based on just size alone. Um, he was like the size of an eighth grader at third grade. <laughs> he was enormous. But just showing up and being willing to be strong for the week saved a lot of beatings for those kids. And I guess what I'm wondering is if we're actually serious about peacemaking. Peacemaking doesn't mean I avoid getting in fights. That's not peacemaking. Peacemaking means I'm also willing to do what I can to make sure that the vulnerable on the campus are taken care of. And that becomes part of my duty. It is the job of Christians to stick up particularly for those who can't stick up for themselves. And unfortunately, there are people um, in churches and in families and stuff like that that only respond to somebody of comparable or superior size. And in our world, that doesn't mean physical as much as it means spiritual. Uh, Satan is a bully to the young. Parents, step up. Grown-ups, step up. People of long tenure in the faith, Satan is particularly a bully to new Christians. Stand up for them. Stand in the gap for these people. Teach them how to follow Jesus in a rigorous way, in a, in a faithful way. Uh, people that are inside your family, you may be the only one with the courage to actually tell so-and-so, it's over. We're not going to do that anymore. You will not treat them that way anymore. That might be your calling. Proverbially speaking, there's a role for us as Big Al, spiritually. There's a hashtag that goes around on Twitter occasionally called praying for pastors. Um, and somebody, so it's people just praying for each other on Sundays for pastors. Got hijacked one morning by a bunch of trolls. They were trying to, you know, and it was great because as they were pushing back, I'm sitting there, I go, all these pastors are reading all this discouraging garbage on Sunday morning now thinking that people are praying for them. So they open it up and it's like, Bleh, you know, it's like, but it was funny to watch as the morning went on, the swell of the church kind of coming up like a wave and just, just crashing on the trolls. It's beautiful to see. It's a good example of that. On a more positive viewpoint, I've got friends that text me on Tuesday. Uh, friends in the ministry that, that just care about me, about my ministry. And it might be something as simple as, hey, hey, I'm praying for you today. Give me three things I can pray for. Right? That's just knowing somebody out there has your back. So you know you're not by yourself. You know that sometimes when you left the full armor of God at your house that morning, that somebody else is showing up and letting you borrow their helmet and their sword and their belt that day. We can only out for each other, sisters and brothers. That's what he's trying to get through to Gaius. 
look, you, Gaius, you got to be strong for those people right now. You're letting this guy just tyrannize everybody. You need to stand up to him. I know you may not be able to, and I know he's intercepting all my letters, so I, John, I'm going to get on my horse or whatever, and I'm going to come, and I'm going to deal with the situation myself. We could all use a big brother or big sister, spiritually speaking, if not a whole family of them. And that's what the church is supposed to be in part. I had planned to tell you this morning, reread all about David and Goliath and what he says there. And what David does in the face of Goliath that is so amazing, it's not just his willingness to fight him, it's the motivation for why he fights him. He sees Goliath as a person who is defaming God, and it seems to be contagious. The fear that Goliath is producing is starting to make its way through the troops of Israel, and David goes, you know what? And then here's what he says. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Courage. And it's not courage because we think we're strong. It's because he's strong. It's because we know we've got the full armor of God around us. So we're strong not just for ourselves, but like David, we're willing to go into battle if we need to to protect the people who are being tyrannized by others. Now, you can get a Messiah complex about this. You can get involved in quarrels that are not yours. You can enable people to continue to be very passive instead of encouraging them to be stronger, which is notable, right? John doesn't say, you know what, just don't worry about it. I'll come take care of it. No, he says, you need to do this. And, but he's coming in as a, as a reinforcement to what Gaius is already supposed to be doing. So the question to us is, are we willing to fight for what is good? Are you? Or are we going to let evil just continue to tyrannize us, tyrannize those we love and care about? Uh, I'll say this. The enemy that you're fighting is not the person that you're confronting. It's the, the one who has them captive. So if you're going to have those conversations with your family members, your spouse, your kids, your whomever, understand that, that they themselves are not the enemy. It, it's, it's the one who's got them captive at the moment, the one who's led them into temptation. All right, I'm out of time. So here's what we're going to do. Um, I'm going to pray for courage for us, all right? Uh, and if you'll join me in that, um, if you want to see what courage looks like, we're going to surround the Lord's table right now, take communion. If, if you got the elements when you came in, great. If you didn't and you'd like some, uh, the bread and the cup, raise your hand. We've got some ushers passing them around. Uh, we've got one down here in the front, a couple others as well. If you want to know what courage looks like, we can always look at the cross who were to see what it's like to lay, lay your life down for the sake of somebody who can't do what they need to do for themselves. And so this morning for Jesus, the courageous one, uh, we're going to gather around the table as the family of God and say, you know what, uh, I, and, and I'm going to ask you to take a look at your life. And if, if there's nothing, none of this going on in your own life, they probably will be at some point. So sock this one away. But look at those that you're in a position to help their situation. Okay. Um, particularly on things that are spiritual, okay? Not just personality conflicts and stuff like that.
Those are more country crock versus butter. We're talking about spiritual stuff. Let's be strong this morning for those who are in prayer and in action. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we see your son's activity. Uh, We see the depth of his love and his willingness to sacrifice himself for us, throwing himself in arms away on our behalf. We say thank you the courage that he demonstrated on the cross we give you thanks and father for the role model that he is and how to live courageously as well as all the the other biblical witnesses around him father for john the baptist and stephen and john father esther and ruth and joseph and noah and all those who had the courage to do what you had called them to do even if it meant Father, give us courage. Make us strong. Father, for the spirit that you gave us, that is not one of fear, but one of power, love, and self-discipline, we give you thanks this morning as we take the bread and the cup, which represents the body and the blood of Jesus, Father. We pray for courage. We pray for wisdom. 